Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about the denials of Peter. Jesus is being assaulted by the most powerful men of the day who want to kill him. Peter is talking to a servant girl at the fire in the courtyard. What is Jesus doing? Perfect obedience. What is, what is Peter doing? Wilting like a flower. It is trying to highlight both Peter's failure and Jesus' faithfulness. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor and Bible Teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. When Peter denied Jesus, his actions illustrated human frailty and vulnerability, even among those closest to Christ. In a moment of fear and uncertainty, Peter succumbed to weakness. However, his story ultimately emphasized the grander theme of God's faithfulness. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve shares another encouraging lesson from the Upper Room. It's a brand new message called Peter's Denials, and you can also listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. We uh, climb the stairs back into the Upper Room, our series in the Upper Room from the Gospel of John. And uh, if there's anybody that looks back at the Upper Room with regret and with shame, it certainly is Simon Peter. Simon uh, Peter is famous for many things. The upper room, Gethsemane, and Caiaphas's courtyard would be three of his famous failures. And I think this is why we like Peter so much, is that we can relate to Peter in our failures, and we see in his failures a resemblance to the way that we so often fail as well. And, uh, you know, so Peter, you know, if you meet Peter in heaven and you say, hey, how about that upper room? I think he's going to go, oh. But all of us have things that uh, we look back at and we're like, oh, like that. In fact, would you like to hear my all-time worst? I'm not going to tell you. And that's something to realize about Peter is that, you know, we like to have ours just remain secret in, in, in the past. But Peter, his failures are recorded in four of the Gospels of the best-selling book in all of human history. His failures are known across the world and throughout history, and uh, this is uh, why we like him so much. You know, Paul, uh, Peter is restored by Jesus, okay, so it's not all doom and gloom here. As we look at the failures of Peter, he will be restored, and today what I want to do is uh, to begin in John, which is our, our uh, text for our series, The Upper Room, but to go from the Upper Room to Gethsemane, another big failure of Peter, and from Gethsemane to Caiaphas, uh, his courtyard where Jesus was tried, which is probably Peter's most famous failure. In fact, there were three there, a little tip of what's coming. And by looking at these three episodes, all in one night, all within the span of a few hours, we see Peter at his worst. And so if you have ever failed God, Peter is your guy. And this message is just for you, which is to say he's all our guy because we all, we all have failed. So let's begin, uh, not like all of you are New Testament scholars, let's begin as if uh, you were a new Christian and perhaps new to the story of the Bible and even the characters of the Bible, let's talk about Peter. 
Like, who was Peter? Uh, get a, a scope of this guy. We begin with his name. I said his name was Simon Peter. Really, his, his given name was Simon. And uh, so you say, well, well, then why do we call him Simon Peter? Or why do we call him Peter? And the reason we do is that when Jesus met Peter for the first time, he changed his name. Here it is in John 1. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so we call him now Peter. And Peter is a form of Petra, uh, which means rock. Okay, so uh, with what we're about to see in the story here with Peter's very flimsy character, Jesus naming him Peter sounds like a cruel joke. Kind of like renaming a bald guy Harry. You know, it's like, really? He's gonna be named The Rock? And you read the story and you're like, he, he ain't no rock. There's no rock here at all. But I think that what Jesus does is he names him The Rock to inspire Peter and to indicate who he needed to be, and indeed who he would become later in the story. Uh, if you read Acts, Peter is a hero in the story, but not here in the Gospel of John. Peter was a fisherman, like several of the disciples were. He was a fisherman. His home was in a town called Bethsaida. And a quick look at the map here, you'll see uh, that if you're gonna be a fisherman, you better live by a, a body of water. And, uh, and so you see right there on the north side is where Peter was from, right near Capernaum. And if you go actually to, to Israel on a tour, there is the historical location of Peter's house. And they've got this big building built over it as they often do in Israel with anything of biblical significance. But he was a fisherman, so kind of a common man. This is not a, you know, he wasn't acad academic, maybe like Nicodemus or somebody. He was, he was a common guy. He was a laborer. He was a worker lived by the Sea of Galilee. His family, we know some things about Peter's family that we don't know about the other apostles. For example, we know that he had a brother named Andrew. And Andrew was the one who actually brought Peter to, to Jesus and introduced them. We also know that Peter was married. And uh, we, we have a few references in the Bible to Peter's wife and his mother-in-law, okay? Now, I note this because it's ironic that in some ancient church denominations, the leaders of those churches are not allowed to marry. And yet we have here uh, really the leader of the apostles, Peter, and clearly he was a married man. Further, in one case, Jesus took care of Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. And so we see in this that Christ-likeness is being nice to mother-in-laws. And all the mother-in-laws said, amen to that. All right. If there's something that Peter is known for besides some of these uh, episodes, it is that Peter was a proud guy. He was, uh, he was uh, chronically putting his foot in his mouth. He ran at the mouth in all the wrong ways and all the wrong times, uh, and, you know, so we look at Peter and we see a guy with tremendous strengths. And Peter does have tremendous strengths. For example, he was the only disciple who got out of the boat and dared to walk on water with Jesus. We'll give him props for that. He was the first to confess Jesus' identity as the Son of God. We'll give him props for that. He was close to Jesus because Jesus wanted him close to him. 
So there were a lot of positives with Peter. But Peter is a man of great contradictions. We have these strengths, which are remarkably strong, but his corresponding weaknesses are remarkably weak as well. He was arrogant, he was brash, he was impetuous, and he was domineering. There was no bridle on Peter's mouth. You read through the Gospels, if there was something that you could say wrongly at the worst possible moment, you could count on Peter to be the one who would do it. He would often announce his own greatness. This meant that Peter was the guy in the room who always had the ability to say the wrong thing. Ever been in a room like that with somebody like that where you just know whenever they open their mouth that you just sort of cringe, like I have no idea what's coming out of this person's mouth? Are you maybe that person in the room that other people cringe when you open your mouth because you never know what's coming out? Over and over again in the story, Peter does this, okay? He says the awkward thing. Everyone just feels awkward when Peter talks. There's one writer that calls him the apostle with a foot-sized mouth. That's a good description. So here's some examples. Which disciple refused to let Jesus wash his feet? Peter. Which disciple rebuked the Son of God? Peter. Which disciple decided to say something stupid during Jesus' transfiguration? Peter. Which disciple threw himself overboard and swam to shore, leaving the other disciples to fend for the nets? Peter. Which disciple boldly declared to Jesus and to the disciples that he would be the one out of all of them that would never deny Jesus? Peter. Okay? And it's that last thing I just said that is what we see now in the upper room in John uh, 13, and this is the moment that we're going to look at. So this is Peter truly at his worst. This is bad Peter. This is Darth Peter. It represents his greatest failure, and I think you're going to find there's something strange that happens as you see the utter failure of Peter. It is strangely encouraging. We'll see if that happens for you today. So we look at verse 36. Here is the story. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Very famous passage. If you're, if you're a Christian for any amount of time, you already know where this is going. The rooster will not crow. So the, the, we mark time, you know, for us, we're like, you know, uh, we have alarm clocks and, and uh, you know, we have uh, clocks by our bed and, and now we've got alarm clocks on devices surrounding us and you've got them on your, on your phone to let you know when I'm supposed to be done with the sermon. Uh, so, you know, we mark time digitally. We mark time down to the, the nanosecond we're able to in our day. But in the, in, in the first century, they didn't have all of these things. And so they marked time differently. And one of the ways that they would mark time was by the rooster crowing. It was a, a, a time somewhere between midnight and 3 a.m., which I don't know what's wrong with those roosters in the first century, but that's what it was. And so Jesus says, 
you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And you can, can you see the look on Peter's face as he's like, what? Me? Not me. In fact, this is how Matthew tells it. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What do you hear there? Hubris, arrogance, self-confidence, comparison to the others. All of that is here. You, see, you sense Peter going, me? Not me. I mean, John or Philip, probably. But you named me the rock. I am the rock of this group. I will never do it. No. Well, we'll see about that, Peter. Just hours later now, we're going to skip ahead in the story. Just hours later, Judas leads a band, a cohort of Roman soldiers uh, authorized by the religious leaders to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're leaving the upper room now. We're going to this other episode. At Gethsemane, Jesus has prayed uh, to his heavenly Father. The disciples are there. They're all asleep. And Jesus wakes them up and sees, says, see, this, this moment is at hand. And here comes Judas with a band of Roman soldiers. And Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. And there is a scrum that happens. You have trained Roman soldiers, some of the greatest you know, the military in, in human history. These are these guys. They are there. And then you have a group of disciples. And we know that they had one sword with them. So of all the people, all the disciples that are there, which one do you think suddenly views himself as qualified with the sword to defend Jesus against the finest military of its day? You guessed it, Peter. Peter pulls out a sword and takes a swing at these highly trained Roman soldiers. And we see in this moment that he was no soldier. He was a fisherman, right? He maybe had never handled a sword in his life. And he is so accurate with his, his slice and his cut that not only does he miss the Roman soldiers, he only managed to hit a, a servant and he does no damage to vital organs whatsoever. He cuts off his ear. And you can almost imagine the Roman soldiers kind of watching this fisherman, I'll get you, and snickering like, who does this guy think he is? He's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. Jesus is arrested and taken to the home of the religious leader, Annas. And we pick up now the story, and this is John 18, verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And that, that's code for John. He's writing himself into the story without identifying himself. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, John, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Okay, I want you to imagine this with me. It's nighttime. This is the decisive night in all of human history. It is a dark night in every respect. And Jesus is taken now by force to the home of this religious leader for interrogation. The Bible also tells us, by the way, that 
that uh, the disciples, when they saw what was happening, they all ran and fled, including Peter. But two of them circle back around, John and Peter, and follow Jesus secretly to this home to see what's going to happen. And it turns out one of them, John, knows somebody on the inside who allows him in, and then John pulls the string, and he gets Peter into the courtyard as well. So there they are now. Peter is there. There's a fire there. There's soldiers there. Jesus is in the house. Peter is in the courtyard. And one of these young servant girls looks at Peter. And we have denial number one with a servant girl. 18 verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Here we have Peter, for all of his uh, bravado, he is now a fearful man. A few hours before this, he boasted he would never deny Jesus. An hour ago, he swung a sword at a Roman soldier, and now before a young girl, the word here, by the way, means a young girl. Think of a little girl. He will not admit that he knows Jesus to this little girl. And we see something here. When we are operating according to fear, when anxiety is in our hearts, even the smallest problem and the smallest people will terrify us. And maybe you're there today in your life. So here's denial number two, chapter 18, verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Now Matthew tells us that these soldiers heard his Galilean accent. Okay, there was a, just like for us, when we hear somebody that talks, you know, super weird, we say, you're from the South, aren't you? Now, if I'm in the South, I say super weird like people in the North, you know. But you get what I'm saying? We, we pick up on accents from people and we can discern, oh, you're from Australia, you're New Zealand, you're British, you're, you know, Southern, whatever. And just in that day as well, they heard somehow Peter talking and they're like, hey, he's got a Galilean accent. You don't suppose that he's one of them. And they said, let's ask him. And so they did. And Peter denies it. He says, I am not. And so His fear leads to deception. He lied to the servant girl, and now he keeps the charade going. He lies to these soldiers. But pressure now is building, okay? He's there by the fire, but he sees these people. They're starting to whisper, and they're starting to point fingers. And now he gets paranoid, and you know what he's not thinking right now? He's not thinking, Jesus, I won't deny you. That thought, long gone, he is paranoid Who is Peter thinking about now? Peter. Peter's thinking about Peter, which leads to denial number three. A relative of Peter's victim, verse 26 of chapter 18, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? So apparently this guy who asked the question had been a part of the mob that had gone to Gethsemane to get Jesus. And again, don't think, you know, our day where we've got street lights and flashlights and phone lights and all the rest. When it's, if you've ever been camping or something, when it gets dark, it's surprising how dark it gets. 
We're used to some light of some kind. It is dark. And so they had torches and they had, you know, some flame of some kind, but you couldn't really see much. That's why Judas kissed Jesus so the soldiers would know who he actually was. This guy is a part of the mob and apparently is related to the guy that Peter cut his ear off. And they're standing by the fire and the guy's looking at him and he's like, weren't you one of those people that I saw there at Gethsemane? Now this is a strong accusation because Peter lifted a sword against Roman authority. This now could mean that Peter himself would be arrested if he was identified as an insurrectionist. So here we have another opportunity for Peter to be the rock. What does Peter do? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And that's where John ends the story. Matthew tells the rest of the story, I'm sorry, Luke, with this. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is masterful storytelling because it's kind of like a split screen, okay, where you can watch two things going on at the same time. We have Jesus in the house being interrogated. We have Peter warming himself by the fire. Jesus is being assaulted by the most powerful men of the day who want to kill him. Peter is talking to a servant girl at the fire in the courtyard. What is Jesus doing? Perfect obedience. What is, what is Peter doing? Wilting like a flower. And that comparison between the two of them is intentional. It is trying to highlight both Peter's failure and Jesus' faithfulness. In fact, we could ask the question, why even tell this part of the story? Because in reality, Peter's actions here have nothing to do with our salvation. Like, we, you could take all of this out of, out of there. In fact, Peter cannot even deny Jesus, and you still have Jesus dying for our sins. You still have a Christology. You still have a gospel. We don't need Peter doing this for us to have a gospel that saves us. Why even include it as part of the story? And now we're moving to some application here that that I want to encourage you with. And that is, first of all, number one, that Peter pictures our weakness and highlights the strength and courage of Christ. When we recognize our imperfections, we open ourselves to receive God's grace. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and a message called Peter's Denials. If you'd like to hear this lesson again, you can replay it online at thejourney.fm. I'd like to take a moment to thank our valued listeners and the dedicated supporters who contribute generously each month to sustain the journey's presence on the airwaves. Thanks to individuals like you, we can extend the reach of God's Word to audiences worldwide through both radio and the Internet. This outreach is instrumental in helping people connect with God, meeting them right where they are on their life's journey. By making a generous contribution today, whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly commitment, you play a vital role in ensuring that the journey continues to deliver clear, biblically grounded teaching to men and women across the globe. Would you consider making a donation today? Simply give us a call at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. 
And to say thanks, we'll send you The Upper Room. It's a book by John MacArthur. The events and teachings recorded in John 13 through 16, commonly known as the Upper Room Discourse, reveal some of the most poignant and powerful promises for believers in all of Scripture. Jesus was on the eve of his crucifixion, and any other man in that situation would have been in such a state of uncontrollable agitation that he would never have been able to focus his attention on the needs of others. But Jesus was different. He wanted his followers to know the peace of the one who has overcome the world. The Upper Room is a book that offers insight into Christ's parting promises for troubled hearts. It's sure to be an encouragement to you and those you share it with. Request your copy today when you give to support the journey. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve continues this message about Peter's denials. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.